0: Uh, Jameson Webster and Marcus Cohen, you both are psychoanalysts, Lacanian, I think, uh, where you said uh, that maybe you weren't too dogmatic about the whole thing. Freudian. Right? Freudian. Okay, Freudian. yeah, there you go.
1: <laughs> so you What's... have a German, a Mexican, a British, and an
2: American We do. Yeah.
0: And uh, yeah, we're, we're going to talk about, well, Jameson had this idea that we should talk about Casavetti's film called uh, uh, "One Woman Under the Influence." So we're going to talk about that. Mm-hmm. And uh, what did you what What did you think about that?
1: Well, I, I've just been so intrigued by the idea of history, I think I've said to Jameson a number of times um, as. I have kind of had more of an interest in the idea of obsession because I think I'm maybe an obsessive myself and psychosis things like, oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) And this is the thing, it's like when you, whenever I'm with like a psychoanalyst, I'm like, please diagnose me. Although you, you go to like Canadian psychoanalysis psychoanalysis
0: and you're. I've asked them to tell me, it's like, what do you think? So what do you think I am? And he won't tell me, which is probably the best because I might just. She's not my
1: see Would you you ever tell your patient what you think they are? No.
0: No. Um, Is there, why won't you, why won't you do it? Is it different for every analyst? Like they just, they might say or not? Or? I think some do. Uh-huh. Even the do. Really? Yeah. And uh-huh. there's some that they give little hints. Uh-huh.
3: You know, they would tell a story, you know, about an obsessional man. And then there's a hint that that could be the patient. I've, I've heard this.
1: Yeah. 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 That's interesting. And I guess you, you have an interest in conversion disorder, the yeah. idea of kind
2: of illness. Mm-hmm. Hi, hi, would you call it a hypochondria? No, well, the conversion disorder in the the DSM is a certain kind of somatic symptom problem, but I like it just as a remnant of mm-hmm. the old Freudian definition of hysteria, which mm-hmm. is essentially is a problem of conversion, that there was something going on in the body of the hysteric, and that since hysteria isn't in the DSM anymore, this is like the last trace of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just like the, the words conversion disorder. I think yeah. I think there's something touching about
1: it. It is interesting. A few people have asked, we were at this uh, weight conference currently, you know, the connotations of various words in mm-hmm. psychoanalysis that they could be seen as problematic or offensive or whatever. But of course, you know, the original meaning is something quite concrete and specific mm-hmm. and useful. So, yeah.
0: Have you been a part of a... A conference that is more that has more of a religious edge to it, or is this first time?
2: Well, this is the first time that it's specifically people who exist within various forms of institutional religion. I mean, it's not as if theology is a, a huge part of like many academic contexts that I've been in. And, um, there's a long tradition in Lacanian psychoanalysis of an interest in mysticism mm-hmm. because the mystics were these kind of bodily hysterics mm-hmm. and. Um, the more they went into their kind of mystical visions, the more they were having these bodily symptoms mm-hmm. and um, crazy, almost sexual experiences. So, uh, and that deeply informed Lacan when he talked about what he called um, female jouissance—that mm-hmm. there was this kind of unbounded sexual mystical experience that um, you know could have, could undo people mm-hmm. in a way that might be important or might be out of you know might be sort of mm-hmm. out of control. Yeah. Uh, but I would have to say that it was pretty academic in the places in which I've encountered it. You?
3: No, I've never. I mean, this kind of combination of psychoanalysis and, and theology, and mm-hmm. like systematic thinking through of mm-hmm. the question of God and dogmatism—I've never. I think I've never witnessed. I mean, I, I know that it exists, but like. Or, but, mm.
1: so it's always a weird one to explain to people who. Aren't involved in what it is or what Peter's trying to do with it. It's seems uh, very strange yeah. to some yeah. people. It seems like highly evangelical
2: or religious, and then. Well, i really, I mean, I have to say, I'm. I'm incredibly moved. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I said when I gave the talk, I said, I. I don't. I. With my mind is blown that there's mm-hmm. these people engaging with Lacanian psychoanalysis who are trying to figure out why they had a relationship to God and mm-hmm. what this means for them now and what this might mean about what we can say to one another mm-hmm. in a communal form. So I was like, what.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is, it is kind of, you know, and I think you, we're engaging with Todd's work as well because Todd is using psychoanalytic ideas like mm-hmm. Marx, Fragel, fregel Hegel, you know, and implying it to... I love of, Fragel. Like, Fragel. Fragel's my favorite <laughs> breakfast cereal. I feel like there should be a breakfast yeah, cereal called <laughs> Fragel. Um, but like applying it to kind of uh, psychoanalyzing societal structures, and that's obviously mm-hmm. something different from being a psychoanalyst, being a psychoanalyst yeah. but... I think it's interesting, yeah.
0: But Lacan was very influenced by uh, Luther, right? And like the whole Protestant thing. And you know, he also wrote a few books on, well, the triumph of religion. And even though when I read it, I just felt like he didn't really talk about religion too much. Mm -hmm. But do what do you think about like the influence that religion had on, on Lacan? Too much. I mean, there's
3: the in the background. There's the story of his uh, Catholicism. Uh-huh. You know, that was very. I mean, it came from a very traditional French Catholic family, and I think, you know, at the time, it really meant something. You know, it really meant to live, to live in a in a very strict religious context. Yeah. Um, so that's very prominent. I mean, there is um, there are certain terms in Lacanian psychoanalysis that meant themselves to be misunderstood or understood mm-hmm. as quasi religious terms.
2: Things the like Santon and stuff?
3: Okay. No, the first being the Big Other.
2: Okay, yeah. You know, yeah. The, the name of the father, the name, the name of, the father. of the father. Yeah, yeah of the that's father true. Is, yeah. You know, it's a biblical term. Yeah, so
1: yeah. You know. I um, mean,
2: he has a trinity, the
0: He image. has a trinity. Mm-hmm. Imagery, yeah. Symbolic and real. Yeah. Yeah. That's true, yeah.
2: So
3: it's, uh, I think, and I think there are various positions on this, what actually his relation to religion mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot is constructed around his saying that God is not dead, mm-hmm. but unconscious. We mm-hmm. mm-hmm. probably talked about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Um, but this can go, you know, many different ways.
2: Mm-hmm. And there's, I mean, there is a tradition of ex priests becoming Lacanian. Really? That, yeah, and probably the first Lacanian in an American mm-hmm. sense was someone named Bill Richardson mm-hmm. who was a priest, a Jesuit priest, and went to see Lacan. Mm-hmm. Somehow, I don't know how he picked up on, mm-hmm. on it and then came back and was one of the first people to teach that long. so really? um, there's another priest in New York named Ed Robinson He's one of the first Lacanians mm-hmm. in New York also an ex-priest and I think there's been a lot of you don't know whether they're Catholic or they're ex-Catholic, mm-hmm. but they've been they use Lacan some mm-hmm. way to to further whatever yeah. their mm-hmm. religious thinking was or is.
1: It's interesting because uh, I think Todd was talking about this yesterday, and Peter's kind of reading of Christianity is like the atheistic core. You know that the the cross is a symbol of like a nothingness and, and no big other, and that Christianity as as a religion is really something that. Inside it has some kind of like similar notion, perhaps that there's some kind of I don't know, <laughs> no cure cure or no answer or no answer yeah, answer no answer answer. Um, but yeah, but talking about it talking about religion and talking about what you touched on um, the kind of the idea of the hysteric women women in uh, certain religious connotations like nuns and things like I don't know you knew uh, there's a film that Aldous Huxley made about the uh, I can't remember the name of the film, but about um, a happening at the time of Cardinal Richelieu in France where women... Um, I, I watched a French documentary about this, a historical documentary, where uh, a very handsome uh, priest arrived in a certain area of France and it set these... I don't know if it was him or... He He had various relationships with these nuns and then this happening of mystical, mystical hysteria happened. <laughs> and it went on for a long time. You even had like people from other countries, visiting it as tourists and like whether people then kind of egged each other on as like, you know, yeah. as a performance, but it was a real kind of outburst. Um, I don't know, I'm not very good at history and I can't even, I don't even know the specific date, but it was, you know, a phenomenon that seems to, especially yeah. in the middle ages and stuff. But yeah. I mean, you were saying as well that um, we're well, really as neurotic as ever and that uh, hysteria is alive and well.
2: Sure. I yeah. Think it's, I think it's very alive and well. I mean, some people could think of, on the one hand, these kinds of alt-right phenomena mm-hmm. as hysterical. I mm-hmm. think that was talked a lot about in this conference to the extent that there's this dissatisfaction and this demand that they're putting onto the world. Mm-hmm that is deeply embedded in questions about sex and gender. Mm-hmm. So you have the alt-right masculinity phenomenon, and then you have the Me Too mm-hmm. feminine phenomenon, mm-hmm. and then you also now have this hysterical kind of sexual war mm-hmm. kind of at play. And and then I think, you know, and, and this is not a pejorative. So to mm-hmm. say that it's hysterical is not a pejorative. And yeah. Anyone who knows my work, it's like a valorization mm-hmm. of um, kind of this Way of insisting on a question in the world about mm-hmm. sex and gender—it um, just needs to meet with certain conditions that turn it into something fruitful, as mm-hmm. opposed to suffering or group phenomena. Yeah. Uh, but you know, also the whole question of trans and uh, gender identity becoming multiplied into seventy-seven—you mm-hmm. know, whatever mm-hmm. categories yeah. on Facebook. I mean, these are all de- also deeply hysterical yeah. questions. About, yeah. you know do I have to have the body of a woman to be called a woman? I yeah, mean, This is kind of amazing. Like, <laughs> no, you don't. But it's really yeah. interesting that you want to insist in this That's way question, on, yeah. on, on this question. So I think we're in very hysterical times, and um, the wellness industry seems mm-hmm. to be entirely histrionic.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I think that whole thing, you mentioned it earlier, is just like, I actually am uh, planning a film at the moment. Uh, it's like a murder mystery set in a... Um, in a, a place where people extract themselves from society because they're, like, allergic to electricity and allergic... Yeah. There's a place... I actually watched a short documentary on YouTube about it called... Actually called Snowflake,
2: mm-hmm. Arizona,
1: and that's the name of the town, as in it was named by Mr. Snow and Mr. Flake 200 years ago. Mm-hmm. And it happens to be this place where people have extracted themselves, too.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, this was the Todd Haynes... That was my second suggestion. Yeah. Woman under influence, but the movie Safe with Julianne Moore, where yeah. she... Um, also goes into one of these communes where mm-hmm. they're trying to get away from toxins and pollutants. Yeah, and it's yeah, just, yeah. I mean, this movie's old. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, we're like in the heyday of like you know this kind of hysteria mm-hmm. about toxins, which doesn't mean that there aren't toxins and pollutants. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, absolutely. Um, she like you know how far she has to mm-hmm. remove herself, mm-hmm. and there's this amazing moment at the end of the movie. It's really stunning, where you know. Her family's like, please come back to us, and she's like wants to be in the bubble and this mm-hmm. like, kind of crazy community, and they have a discourse, you know, about how how you're not safe mm-hmm. and how you know these toxins are everywhere and we have to really protect ourselves, mm-hmm. and she's having this complete breakdown, this almost like you know this this breakdown of having removed herself completely from her life, and you know Julianne Moore's face is so incredible and her use mm-hmm. of language is so powerful she repeats the, the doctrine mm-hmm. of the weird community that she's in, but it mm-hmm. comes out in this sputtering fragments of nothingness mm-hmm. and then, like, the film ends. I have, to, I have to push it, yeah.
0: When you're talking about this sort of, like, hysterical position that is, is fragmenting the the whole landscape of, like, the amount of genders, mm-hmm. what do you think about Gizek's proposition that you can be a plus directly, I don't know if you've heard him talk about that, so you have the LGBTQ plus Right. and it's not about, because it'll never be enough, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter if there's 77 or more mm-hmm. or less, like standing for multiplicity itself directly. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that's the, they don't, you know, you would say in the same way that you say the hysteric doesn't know what she knows or doesn't even know mm-hmm. what she's asking for, mm-hmm. but that, you know, rather than think, okay, well, I want this name for myself put onto the list that Mm -hmm. they are for the the plus. And the -hmm. the plus is important. The plus is Mm -hmm. about heterogeneity and multiplicity, Mm -hmm. period. And then you can ask the question, like, does having all of those pluses on Facebook amount to a real plus? But you have to get closer to the side of what she's asking Mm -hmm. for in order to have that be a fruitful Mm -hmm. conversation rather than just putting one more thing Mm -hmm. on the list of accumulation. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
3: So, no, I was just thinking about the, the... Plus and hysteria, and um, still thinking about what you said before in the question of hysteria today. And what is helpful with Christian hysterics or Christian mystics mm-hmm. is that they, um, like any other hysteric, live really in their body, mm-hmm. the rejection and the submission at the same time mm-hmm. to the the system they are they are in, mm-hmm. um, but in a very unified and canonic form. Mm-hmm. And the confusion today is, I think, where, which also, I think, is behind the, I mean, uh, many forces behind the disappearance of hysteria and the DSM, mm-hmm. um, but I think one of the reasons is also that uh, uh, hysteria is less unified, mm-hmm. it's completely scattered. Stretched. Yeah. Because the big other, if you wish, mm-hmm. is scattered, it's scattered yeah, yeah, So, uh, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean that the the very phenomenon of hysteria is mm-hmm. still the same. I think yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the idea of conversion disorder is very fruitful because yeah. it just you know generalizes mm-hmm. the hysteric mechanism and could take on many many forms.
1: Because this is something interesting about the the film A Woman Under the Influence that to me I, we were talking about symptoms earlier that like symptoms are so disparate and can be signifiers of so many different things and i feel like if you saw this film and this character just you know one might confuse it for psychosis or something but that actually uh, but this idea that the splitting of a kind of a disparate big other that symptoms take on so we were in this we were in this free unfree world at the moment mm-hmm. where yeah we kind of we have our own particularities. Mm-hmm. It's almost like the DSM as well. This, it's like it's like the LGBTQ plus 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 plus. These attempts to codify mm-hmm. so many th- different things. It's so a way, thing, yeah. it's a
3: reaction to hysteria. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you yeah. could construct it in a certain way that the whole DSM. I mean, as I said, it has many forces. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. the, it's you know, the pharmaceutical one, as everybody knows, mm-hmm. one of the major ones. But mm-hmm. the, the the way of thinking is a reaction to hysteria. Mm-hmm. Actually, things yeah like yeah. Kind of cutting it into small pieces. Whereas I guess yeah.
1: psychoanalysis would be um, in dialogue forward. with hysteria yeah. and asking questions yeah. of hysteria.
2: Yeah. I mean it's true that the one of the great things about the movie A Woman Under the Influence is like certainly you want to say this is a you wanna say this is a woman who's schizophrenic mm-hmm. or psychotic, but I think there's moments in the film in which, I mean, you could say that then they give you the particularity of psychosis, mm-hmm. but I think it's more ambiguous. I mean, she's mm-hmm. an alcoholic. Yeah, she sleeps with all these people. Mm-hmm. The minute that her husband's Husband, gone, yeah. she's a bored housewife. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm she's histrionic to the extent that she can't help but like seduce yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody. everybody she's got the hysterical giggles yeah yeah, yeah, yeah yeah, there's that beautiful scene in which she you know you, you and I talked about mm-hmm. this before the Swan Lake so the, the, like, the kind of rigid authoritarian like neighborly father shows yeah. up and she has all the kids die in the Swan Lake <laughs> moment in front of him and she's like they're dying for you <laughs> what's the matter with you um you know she's unbelievably tender yeah, with yeah. her children. There's yeah. like this beautiful tenderness with mm-hmm. her children. And she loves her husband. I mean, yeah, she, yeah, she does. Man. Yeah, um, and they're they're incredibly in, in this amazing, passionate relationship mm-hmm. with one another. And you know, at the moment in which her symptoms go away, mm-hmm. like once she's been institutionalized, and he desperately wants them back, and mm-hmm. he's like, "Where are you? Where are you?" Um, There's something really beautiful Mm -hmm. about that that makes it a a love story that's Mm -hmm. beyond psychosis or beyond a sort of depiction of psychosis and just maybe female madness like across the spectrum. Yeah.
0: I wonder if you both could talk about um, to explain hysteria in the context of psychoanalysis because I think it can be easily misunderstood. For example, you have like the the two different sides of like people will understand. a psychotic person and maybe confuse it with a psychopath mm-hmm. like you know you have like this sort of like culturalization of, of, of psycho like from i don't know books like john ronson or whatever but what would you get how would you guys explain sort of like the valences of a hysteric person
3: i wouldn't call i mean you we say this also sometimes hysteric person but i don't think it's a, a good way of Saying it, okay. I think hysteria is not an attribute of a person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, <clears throat> Lacan would have called it a structure yeah. in the very general sense. So um, there is not someone who's hysteric, mm-hmm. really. I think there is a structure in which someone is hysteric. Mm-hmm. That structure might be that person's life. So there is no outside of it. So in that sense, you know, uh, everything about her or him would be hysteric. But it's it's. Um, Also, that structure, I think, hysteria that shows the fact that for psychoanalysis, you can only understand things in structural terms Mm -hmm. because the hysteric is fundamentally in relation to the other. mm -hmm, That's mm -hmm. actually the structure. Mm -hmm. With her body completely subjected and in resistance to mm-hmm. uh, the other, whereas the so it shows something. The hysteric shows something about the structuralist understanding of the psyche, mm-hmm. if you wish, in general, whereas the obsessional mm-hmm. always pretends not to be in the structure. Yeah, you know, yeah, and yeah. To control the structure. To and the itself, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. in a certain way, it also shows. Mm-hmm. You know, that there is some kind of a protection from structure mm-hmm. in, in the obsessionality. Um, so, in, in that sense, it's uh, it's a very specific use of the, the term uh, hysteria.
1: I'm just, this is our yeah. super amazing, it's still going. We have this terrible, te- my terrible laptop. Right. So, you have to keep intervening to with it. It goes into sleep mode, but we, yeah. we were just, uh, I will do anything not to go to uh, the yeah. Apple store.
3: The other to <laughs> really think the enigma of, of what psychoanalysis mm-hmm. deals with. Mm-hmm. Because um, the. Hysteric gives uh, her or his body mm-hmm. it's not a pretense, not you know, it's not an illusion that these symptoms occur. yeah, it, but still, yeah. it can be understood as a structure. Mm-hmm. so it's, if if you really had a completely social phenomenon mm-hmm. and a completely physical phenomenon, you can do both explanations, but they come together, and it is fundamentally enigmatic mm-hmm. actually mm-hmm. what that mechanism is that would translate mm-hmm. the one into the other and the signalosis is not there to explain explain yeah but to like,
2: expose
1: elucidate
2: yeah and that's why the i mean not just the kind of the what you were alluding to when there is this you know priest who shows up and creates hysterical women mm-hmm. and they all start traveling to the town but i mean the story has always been this this hysterical contagion mm-hmm. yeah so yeah yeah contagious about absolutely yeah. hysteria and like the boarding school Yeah, that, you know one little girl starts coughing mm-hmm. and then all the little girls mm-hmm. start coughing mm-hmm. and and the mystery of this. Yeah, it's interesting because um, and the, the, it's not like you want to say to them, okay, well, obviously you guys are all coughing together. Could yeah. you stop? But it's not. You yeah, no, you can't because this is <laughs> really like where well, well, illness starts. You know,
1: the very how real it is. Because just as we have the phenomena like goop and the wellness industry um, at the moment, I am actually really intrigued by. Um, there's a whole movement of you know this the idea of like Emmy... And chronic fatigue. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a big kind of like ME rights movement online. There was a documentary that came out that was shared at Sundance called Unrest a couple of years ago. It was a very good and moving documentary and kind of exposing the the lives of all these people who live outside you know, who live inside but outside society and that, you know, looking for a cure and that there's something that we just don't know about. Um and it does address the idea of hysteria, but obviously in the kind of conventional like, oh hysteria misogyny bad you know mm. but you know it is interesting in that they of course are highly likely there are many illnesses that we don't know about mm. that we could find and cure a lot of these people but there's always going to be something about it that eludes us as well as part of it and then there's also a within the structure of what this thing is something that's not just medical
2: right yeah but that's also what marcus is um alluding to Mm -hmm. is the fact that she puts her body on the line and Mm -hmm. the problem is when the structure answers it so she puts her body on the line let's say to ask a question about what how i mean a typically hysterical question would be how is a body productive? Mm-hmm. You know, I have a female body. My body creates, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. creative, can create babies. But you want it to work and be productive. I'm a little confused about this. Yeah. I'm really tired all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> let's, just, let's just say that's how that yeah, yeah. question gets yeah. exposed. It's not that this question that she's asking about, who am I as a woman who can produce, mm-hmm. gets answered. She gets... Whatever. She gets mm-hmm. pills, she gets Gwyneth Paltrow, mm-hmm. she gets, you know, all kinds of mm-hmm. other things. And this is this is, you know, this is the hysterical conundrum. Mm-hmm. Is that the hysterical body and the social structure are in this relationship mm-hmm. where they're gonna they're gonna undo each other. Yeah. She's gonna undo herself and this industry is going to explode but also collapse because at a certain point she's gonna be pissed off that this isn't actually answering yeah. the question yeah. that she's trying to answer. So this kind of amazing tension.
0: I have a question about uh, the historical structure. Is I've often heard that so the position of the hysteric, hysterics discourse in relation to the master is to be sort of just like demanding um, things from the master and from the master discourse and just trying to poke holes mm-hmm. into it, into its labels, finding inconsistencies in its discourse. But I've also heard that is just wants to please the master. Mm -hmm. Um, Is this contradictory? Is it dialectical? There's like, you find one through the other, or what would you guys say about that? I think it, I don't
3: know, I don't want to give a coherent picture of these uh, lines. I think it shows different uh, aspects of of what hysteria is. I don't know. I would refrain from saying this, like in general terms, that his mm-hmm. turn wants to please the master. I don't. I'm, I don't. That can happen, uh-huh. but. Maybe know, though, maybe you translate it better into something.
2: I know. I mean, I think Marcus and I are a little exhausted of like this whole so the tired. hysterics running around the street looking for a master, and she's going to be a bigger master than the master, and then she's you know just as phallic as he is, and then we're in the same phallic. I mean, like we know all of this, mm-hmm. and it's not that it hasn't been important or is a part of of Lacan's discourse, but I think maybe one way to reframe it is just to say that she she presents the mystery of transference. Mm-hmm. And the what transference is, again, is a relationship to the other and a playing out of all of the kind of varieties of experience that one has mm-hmm. in bringing a fantasy Bringing your body, bringing desire and expectation into a relationship, which on the one hand maybe you want to fill the other up, maybe you want to be the perfect object for them, maybe mm-hmm. you want them to be the perfect object for you, maybe you want them to teach you, maybe you want to teach them a lesson. But I mean, you know, the what's nice for us about being psychoanalysts is it's not just this. Kind of trope that I think it sometimes turned into for Lacanians, but the absolute specificity of that fantasy and that you need a hysterical mm-hmm. transferential relationship in order to get that. So, one of the things that I did recently that surprised me was um, for this magazine called Apology with my friend Jesse Pearson, who used to be part of Vice and Apology as his apology for Vice. <laughs> Um, you know, he said like, what's he's doing something, he was doing an issue on fantasy and he yeah. said like, what would you bring to it as an analyst? And I said, well, this, this like kind of crazy idea in psychoanalysis that everyone has a masturbation fantasy, mm-hmm. which is like the masturbation fantasy is how you play out your transference. Um, and like psychoanalysis so has to get your masturbation fantasy so is the masturbation fantasy the thing that you actually do when you're jerking mm-hmm. off or is it this like deep unconscious like strange phantasmatic Lucanian structure that it's sometimes talked about to be or what's the relationship between the two and he was like cool he's like should we go get some masturbation fantasies and I was like good luck. And, you know, he at first he thought like he would do Craigslist, but, mm-hmm. you know, we knew that we would just get schlock if we did that. Mm-hmm. So he went and he found friends who were, you know, brilliant people, writers, whatever, interesting people. And he said, I'm going to anonymize these, but I need like a real <laughs> masturbation fantasy. <laughs> um, it was really hard for him, of course, to get them. He thought, yeah. he thought, he thought he'd get like 40, yeah. you know, we'd like yeah. play around with these. He only got five. <laughs> yeah. Wow. But these five fantasies are incredible. And I like I was actually like the signifier is at play in yeah. them in a way that surprised me. Yeah. And each fantasy is trying to answer certain questions about what a man is, what a woman yeah. is, what intercourse is, yeah. what authority is, and each one puts all of the pieces there yeah. and creates an answer to it. Yeah. And you hear, I mean, you can see, you can imagine what this person would do in analysis, how their masturbatory fantasy would be the kind of structuring, playing out thing that you would analyze over the course of analysis. And I I couldn't believe that you could get this out of people. Because people, I mean, don't share this stuff with anybody,
1: not even their partner or anything like that. Because you know, like the idea of, um, I feel like Freud is often misunderstood as somebody who's like oh, it's all about sex, but the whole thing is it's like it's not. It's like almost the opposite of that. It's like humans can't have sex and like you have to close your eyes. You can't like actually have sex, you know. You have to like have this imaginary thing, like avoiding actually having sex. But so with this, you talking about, is this like these fantasies, they imagine like the phallic stage when your parents are kind of giving you, dancing around the answer of these questions (laughs) that you have as a child and you just create this kind of unconscious.
2: It's like a dream, like condensation of things that you've heard and things yeah. that you've seen and things yeah. that you've thought that somehow like crystallizes and I mean you know I psychoanalysts, around and asked, like does it exist or does it not I don't even think we can even say mm-hmm. yeah, at the moment it exists it doesn't mm-hmm. you know like it just existed then you mm-hmm. know was it always there who yeah. knows but um, you know I one of the fantasies one of the, the heterosexual male fantasies was of a woman on all fours in black pantyhose and a mm-hmm. white bra mm-hmm. and he would rip the pantyhose on her ass and then she would fart and she would oh, fart God. really really loudly and like no, I mean, he's like he's like this is really embarrassing i don't know but it's like a masturbation <laughs> fantasy but what's amazing is that the ripping of the stockings is also the ripping of the farting i mean <laughs> you can't you can't make that oh, and also, you know, it's a pi- it's a primal scene fantasy. It's not yeah, like the, yeah. the hearing your parents fucking is turned yeah. into this ridiculous, ridiculous thing, anal yeah. thing, which yeah. is probably comforting, you know? Like, yeah. oh, they're not fucking. She's farting.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. <laughs> it's so fast. A friend of ours is a comedian who um, basically admitted what his fantasy is. And it was like, to because he was interviewing this like he he just is a host on a TV show and he was interviewing he was this really famous Olivia Munn he's just like really attractive mm-hmm. and he was realizing that as he was talking to her that he was having this fantasy of shitting in her eyes mm-hmm. it's just so oh, fuck. Yeah. it's
2: like it's absolutely it's got nothing to do with sex but that's in the Ratman case the Ratman in Freud yeah he it's in the notes right it's yeah. not in the actual yeah. case itself yeah. the Ratman sees. Freud, I think, or for one of Freud's daughters coming down the stairs, and right. then he has a dream about her having shit for eyes. Yeah. yeah, really.
0: Yeah, I don't remember exactly the detail. But yeah.
2: Yes, um, it's exactly the same.
0: We were talking yesterday about sort of like this, the beauty standards of today, and just trying to be like body inclusive or body positive, and we are just thinking like, does it even make sense? Because do these things really? accommodate people's relationships like do we choose our partners based on the standards of beauty that are imposed on us from like magazines or just movie or whatever isn't it more just based on personal fantasy like isn't fetish the thing that brings us to the person that we love eventually and it kind of cuts through the bullshit of like you know beauty standards or whatever enigma hmm um, tendentially,
3: I would, you know, base the analytic work, I think, you know, on the, on the hypothesis that there is something extremely specific and uh, irreducible and not standardized uh-huh. that you're trying to find that, you know, would be the, the little object that makes, uh, makes a relationship bind or... Uh-huh. You know, mm-hmm. But that's a hypothesis. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, it's a working, and I don't, I think often you don't find that. Yeah, and uh, it's also not excluded that the uh, the very um, outsideness of standardized beauty does become that object. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's completely possible. <laughs> so,
2: yeah, but also, I mean, I guess if you widen the view of so that, you know, body positive different bodies, et cetera. Mm -hmm. I guess maybe you make the person less ashamed of, of desiring yeah. what they desire mm-hmm. and i guess yeah. that that would be the hope yeah i don't know because i think we're always going to be ashamed of what we desire whether we're told that it's okay yeah. or yeah. not i just think yeah. the experience of desiring is deeply shameful what? yeah exactly um mm-hmm. but I mean, i'm not going to knock them you yeah. know they can, they're, i'm happy for anyone to try to help anyone with their shame in whatever way they think that they yeah. can <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> well, it is, it's profoundly embarrassing to kind of admit what you desire Yeah, I think just to even
2: experience it is
0: horrifying.
1: It's horrifying, yeah, Yeah. absolutely, and hard.
0: Yeah, is it just encoded into desire the shame of it? Like, would you not would you stop desiring it if it wasn't so shameful?
3: I mean, Freud, you know, Freud at at his best when he has footnotes, Mm -hmm, he becomes mm -hmm. extremely concrete. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what text it is, but it's a, a speculation about, um, I think, also about beauty and also about shame and um, the genitals. And uh, it's a, you know, in relation to the question of, you know, everything is sex and nothing is sex, um, it's a <laughs> strange reversal because you would think he explains with the genitals all the rest. Uh-huh. But in this footnote, he does the opposite. He's mm-hmm. saying says, well, what is actually the problem with the genitals? Mm-hmm. And he says, yeah, the, well, the problem with the genitals is they don't fit. Mm-hmm. They don't fit into the... Into the rest of the body, mm-hmm. there's somehow this strange part where skin is folded differently, mm-hmm. where other colors occur. Mm-hmm. Their closeness to um,
2: yes, is they're ugly,
3: and they're ugly.
2: It's only
1: exactly interesting exactly. that, like you know, so. yeah, it's just interesting in, sci- in sci-fi movies. You know, the the monsters always look so like genitals. Yes. Like an alien, oh, you yeah. know. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. You've said that. You said yeah, like they do. I time. mean, it's
1: like, it just, yeah. But the like,
0: bodies are just ugly and it, it's, you're much better off, like,
1: Yeah, they're no, always like, they're always gooey. Like, gooey and phallic or like in Alien, there's both, uh, especially now the most recent films like Prometheus and stuff, like there's the female version and the male version, and, yeah. yeah. Mm. But they are, they're like alien. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
3: yeah they are alien. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. 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 yeah you have the penis like it moves without you doing you anything. this is like crazy. I, I mean actually Love Calm was the yeah. one who pointed out that the experience of having an erection is terrifying. Yeah. I mean it's fun it is something that like everyone's like the as mean, vagina's so scary, it's a hole, what the hell is going yeah. on? And blood comes out of it. But actually the experience of an erection is also equally ejaculation.
1: Ejaculation. It's completely
2: horrifying.
1: It is and this is
3: why this I think the Repression of masturbation is not the repression of the
2: pleasure. Of the pleasure, pleasure. yeah, it's the, the...
3: active action on the horrific fact that there is ejaculation. Yeah. You never will come to terms with this.
1: Yeah, I mean I've always I mean, I remember as a child being fascinated by like the fact that a man or boys, you know, when you're a child, can't control their penis. And I remember yeah. we would like being play in the garden with a next door neighbor boy who just walk around with like an erection mm-hmm. it was really weird mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's, it is yeah, funny
2: it's when you
1: look Todd was saying I'm so obviously obsessive but like um I've uh I've uh like I think I've come to realize like a lot of my symptoms are so obvious I actually just realized we're talking I had this thing recently about plane crashes and getting it really into like I haven't told me and I found that I can fall asleep if I watch documentaries about plane crashes and then it was just like watching people riding planes and it seems like that's very female like birthing inside I think and then you pointed out is obviously to do with like giving birth and I've always thought that I really want children but then it's like giving birth as a plane crash it's not yes. Maybe I don't. And it's the show, it's like, well, this is another question I want to ask you guys. The thing about the symptom is like a reaction formation where there isn't an answer. It's like two conflicting mm-hmm. desires. Mm-hmm. It's annoying. Mm-hmm. And I actually, you it's know… It's
3: annoying that it works so well.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's just like, <laughs> that's clever. It's like, damn. But also, you know, I, I was thinking about, you know, Peggy, not Peggy, Betty from Madmo as, like, mm. a hysteric character. I love Mad Men, you know. I think it's... Of course, I'm, like, quite... Peggy
2: ideas. also, though. Peggy also. Peggy also.
1: Um, But you know the way, like, Betty dies? And she's, like, kind of, like, really happy when she dies because she dies young and she's, like, not going to grow old, oh, you right? know? I, and, yeah. um, that's the way her mom dies. And she goes see she like, really, like... There's something she gets out of it. But um, I noticed a lot... And she got fat. And she, then got she got fat. Thing, and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that...
0: Just preparing to die.
1: <laughs> but the... Um, when I was at college, there were a lot of women and possibly myself who got like chronic fatigue, which I really thought was like a response to, I don't know if it's being a woman in a kind of world, which was, it's a very like competitive university expected to work all the time. And, you know, and it's like a Mm -hmm. a protest to that, Mm -hmm. getting ill mysteriously and tired. Um, And just, I was thinking about like Betty as a housewife and then potentially the hysteric in the world of work, mm-hmm. and how women fit in, mm-hmm. or not necessarily women, but like a hysteric structure fits into uh, the into capitalism, mm-hmm. and how potentially as housewives you're alienated from it in a different way, and mm-hmm. you have a different set of symptoms, but within a it- you yeah. Have
2: a, you have symptoms also. Also symptoms. But maybe different ones. Housewife
1: symptoms. or you, <laughs> yeah. Have, yeah. you know, worker Female worker symptoms. Female worker symptoms, oh. yeah. And it is interesting that like things like chronic, chronic fatigue, I know a lot of men who've suffered from chronic fatigue, but it's majoritarily women mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah, I don't
3: know. I mean, you always point this out nicely that, uh, I mean, hysteria does react to something that does exist. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, it's really, I mean, in that sense is always index with something that you can find mm-hmm. in, in society, mm-hmm. it's not a crazy invention mm-hmm. uh, of, of a problem. Mm-hmm. On the contrary, I yeah, so.
2: yeah. And it, you know, uh, Freud had this term Neurosthenia, which is basically mm-hmm. chronic mm-hmm. fatigue, and yeah. and and he thought of it as like a post. I mean, it was it was a body that's that's stressed. Mm-hmm. And stress in a way in which the psyche and the unconscious can't even catch up with it. Mm-hmm, and so, mm-hmm. like, the, it basically you could say that we're leaving no room for the life of the unconscious, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, which means that there's too much stress and anxiety in the symptom, yeah. and it just then it, it, it bottoms out. And mm-hmm. it's speaking to the fact that we're not, that we're, we as a society are taking the capacity to dream, the capacity to fantasize, mm-hmm. the capacity to have. A relationship to our sexual bodies away from yeah. from people by yeah. making them you have to check their email twenty
1: four seven. Well, this is exactly you know the the world of work has changed so much and mm. it's so ubiquitous with four G, five G, or on your phone. Yeah. But, you know things like social media being a, a a good capitalist and promoting yourself in every aspect of everything you do and how that. Uh, yeah, what, what kind of symptoms will arise as, as a response to that? Have you noticed in your practice any kind of, for instance, social media? Social media seems like kind of a hysteric thing almost, <laughs> you know, there's selfies, you know.
3: Yeah. Well, it always comes up mm-hmm. and I, uh, I, I feel that I am getting extremely annoyed with it. And I can't hear another problem of a WhatsApp group that <laughs> kind of did some terrible thing. <laughs> So I haven't really come <laughs> to a point where I could say something intelligent about it. Yeah, yeah. I'm still myself in some kind of reaction yeah, yeah. Uh, to it. I, I don't know. I think it needs more time to yeah. really... Yeah, I think, it, no?
2: I think we don't know what's going to happen with the social media. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think people are at their limit with the dating apps. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, at the, and um, one of the things that I think the dating apps have brought out and I, you can't say that this is for better or for worse, but is a kind of brutality um, in the experience of trying to find love. Yeah, absolutely. And, you yeah. know, I mean, it, maybe it was covered over before mm-hmm. because, I don't know, you would just get into the relationship mm-hmm. and it would feel spontaneous mm-hmm. and you would, you know, you could kind of hold on to it that mm-hmm. way, but no one is able to hold on anymore mm-hmm. because the contingency of the app makes you think like, on the one hand, like oh, I've met the love of my life. On the other hand, fuck it, it's just one of a yeah. hundred people yeah. for the week. Yeah. And the, this is really confusing because yeah. all of the fantasy is there, all of the desire is there, and all of the fact that these are two strangers, mm-hmm. two complete strangers with deep unconsciouses. That's going to take a long time to figure mm-hmm. out whether they mesh at all. Seems to be so present. Mm-hmm. At, like almost immediately. Mm-hmm. And I think people are very, very hurt in this experience mm-hmm. somehow.
1: So, you know, we went to I, a talk by Alan Berger. I don't know if you were there actually last week. Maybe it was a bit earlier than when I met you in LA. But he was talking about how Me Too hasn't gone far enough almost because the woman loses so much more in sex. And they're, there's almost like, the so there's a, I guess culturally people think Me Too is a response to like, patriarchal structures in the past and women are kind of overcoming and regaining something but i think it's almost like it's a contemporary thing and women are feeling, feeling traumatized now yeah you know as in i don't know what it is about sex but it's sex is like really traumatic yeah. in a way that we don't like yeah. recognize and that i don't know whether women are losing more or they have more to lose in this environment.
2: Or well, they're experiencing it in it in, in an immediacy mm-hmm. that wasn't present before. Yeah. No, I think that that's a really important point, that Me Too isn't like, you know, the history of the struggle of women. It, it is that, mm-hmm. but that it's actually speaking to the fact that women feel really, really traumatized right now yeah. by the question of loving men. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely.
1: And it's funny because like, when you look at feminism in the 70s, and it was much more about like women taking charge of their sexuality and like we want to be able to risk getting raped or mm-hmm. you know, not having curfews at college or not right. having to sign into a dorm. Whereas now the that aspect of feminism it's like almost the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a desire to be like to looked after. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: I mean there's a terrible some, a terrible contradiction in the two, yeah. you know, yeah, the yeah, dialectic yeah. that that, that it calls for the submission to some universal law of yeah. equality, yeah. which does not match with sexuality. Yeah, yeah. So that, you know, you cannot apply human rights to sexuality.
1: Exactly. Uh, yeah. You can
3: apply human rights to questions of violence and, and, yeah. and power, but yeah. not to sexuality. So yeah. Me Too is extremely conflicted because, yeah. of yeah. course, it's liberating and important, Yeah. but it also means... We all just equal and all submitted to the same kind of, you know, yeah. universal and, law.
2: And it, it, of, it it's asking for more policing and it's asking policing, for um, more rationalism. More rationalism and more morality. I mean, yeah. there's a you know, there's a, this is a lot of feminists have pointed out the kind of moral sex panic mm-hmm. that it's introducing that they, they work so hard to fight yeah, against. Yeah. And I'm not anti-Me Too, but I just, I think these contradictions are, are very, very yeah. palpable, and rather than, like, say it's good or say it's bad, mm-hmm. I think it's important to bring out your point, which is that it's speaking to an experience that women are having that yeah. we don't know what to do with.
1: So it's almost like we have to analyze why Me Too. But not too. just women, by the way. Yeah, men exactly. Men too. So. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Do you know, do you remember that commercial that came out from Gillette? Yeah. That was, like, pretty controversial. The, to- the, toxic, yeah, masculinity the, toxic, masculinity the toxic masculinity Yeah, the The toxic masculinity. What was, I don't...
2: I don't know. Oh, um, instead of be uh, the best a man can get, which was the shaving mm-hmm. thing. They wanted it to be the best a man can be. Now. So it was all
1: about like, oh, we used to be so terrible misogynists and no, we well, now must be.
0: But what you're talking about is just yeah. like being more conservative about it. There's a scene where there's a guy that looks at a woman that mm-hmm. walks across the street and he's attracted to her and he wants to talk to mm-hmm. her. And his friend that is next to him, he stops him from talking to her.
2: I think he catcalls her.
0: He like you know like yeah yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. But it's like I'm just wondering, like what if they would have hit it off?
2: (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's like they
0: (laughs) could have been like his friend is like like if there's virtue and just like you know don't even approach women. uh,
1: There's something also that I started to. Don't even look at that. I I felt like um, really insecure in around 2016 2017 where I noticed. It could be because I just suddenly got like a lot uglier, but like men weren't looking at me anymore. Mm. And I hated that. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, (laughs) have I suddenly got levels, But I was just like, you know, as in, we can't deny, obviously. And again, I'm not against Me Too, but it's like, it's interesting to ask why Me Too is arising at this moment and what the implications are. And also that sex is violent Mm -hmm. and... Which is, I guess, what Me Too is acknowledging, mm-hmm. but that that's not always. It's not even. I don't think the right words to say is not always a bad thing, but that's part of it, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and it, it's nice to be pursued by a man, you know. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> well, this is this is like this is where it becomes very confusing for people, and I think people are in a place in which sex and violence are are imbricated in Mm -hmm. some way that they don't know how to get themselves out of and i think by virtue of that women are really terrified Mm -hmm. and men are terrified like we don't know when sex is something that we want or when sex becomes something violent we don't know when someone's doing something to us that we like or Mm -hmm. when they're doing something to us that we think they shouldn't have done Mm -hmm. and they should be in really big trouble for it And, you know, like, they're trying to open up the conversation to try to have a conversation about it. But I see everybody drowning in Mm -hmm. this conversation. Mm -hmm. So I don't – and that doesn't mean that in breaking certain things open in the way that Me Too has and the way that hysteria kind of does force us into Mm -hmm. the chaos and the conundrum and the confusion. I I hope, but no analyst will ever make predictions. I hope we come out the other side of it Mm -hmm. with a more interesting – a more complex way of thinking about human relationships, yeah. although the world doesn't look so great at the moment.
1: No, and I mean, do you put it down to um, just a contingent situation? I mean, do you, why do you think we're asking questions like this now? Post-60s, social yeah. revolution.
3: Could my, my yeah. I have like you a have, speculative, yeah. crazy idea is that it is what is on the horizon is non-sexual
1: reproduction yeah yeah yeah. i love this
2: this speculation and
3: i I think we feel this yeah yeah and of course you know sexuality would go Mm -hmm. wild yeah or get completely policed Mm -hmm. or become maybe creative Mm -hmm. we don't know Mm -hmm. when it gets even more dissociated Mm -hmm. from the question of of reproduction than it already is yeah and it is going to happen I mean, this is really mm-hmm. science fiction, but I mean, this it, yeah. it is going yeah, to it's happen. Gonna happen. Yeah,
2: they made the so, womb. Yeah, the yeah, yeah. They made the, they made the outside the woman woman's body womb. There is also,
1: I mean, I guess you know, obviously things like the pill, uh, changing the nature mm-hmm. of what sex is for yeah. a woman.
2: Yeah,
1: um, and I guess things. Yeah,
2: I mean the the the, the book by Presiado Testo Junkie, mm-hmm. which talks about, um, you know, this is the first auto theory, but her. She says that hormones are the first mass-produced bodily substance uh-huh. that's distributed, and she links this to Fordism. And uh-huh. then she's using kind of Foucauldian ideas. She is a he, now, so he. Uh-huh. But when she, when the book was written, it was by Beatrice, not Paul. Uh-huh. Uh, He links it also to uh, Foucault and the idea that, you know, in biopolitics, like, Mm -hmm. it's not this regime, this police that says, like, stop doing this, that that the way in which they police us Mm -hmm. is by taking us over from the inside, that Mm -hmm. uh, it's a manipulation of our bodies, so... Um, certainly I think there's something really interesting mm-hmm. about the question of the pill, which is supposed to be an undisputed good and no one's gonna argue against the idea of taking control of your reproduction, but that doesn't mean that that any technology is just good. All yeah, technologies yeah. we know are a double edged sword. Mm-hmm. So this dissociation that which Marcus is pointing to between sex reproduction and reproduction and like that we don't know what to do. This is very, very confusing. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, my, the women that I see in my practice have no idea how to have babies. They don't know how to want to do it they try to find the things like well now i'm 35 so i guess i yeah. should do it and my doctor says no 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 and they're using all of these things to try to make sense of it mm. or okay well we've been in a relationship for five years i mean mm-hmm, like, but, mm-hmm. like we don't they're so confused yeah so what absolutely. is going to make yeah. this desire something concrete and real yeah. in the world and why this person and not that yeah, person yeah. and how do i know it's like there's yeah. no this is a this is a this is quicksand yeah absolutely i mean it's a. Uh,
1: yeah, I mean, it's life and death, and we have mm-hmm. control over it
2: mm-hmm.
1: in a way that we haven't had before. Yeah, yeah. I think
2: that Patricia Garavici talks about this, that the hysterical symptoms are more life and death than they used to be. which isn't to say that they weren't life and death, mm-hmm. but the life and death questions are more evident in mm-hmm. them mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. more real. So yeah. That, and she talks about that as a quality yeah. of the real yeah. in the symptom that's like really, really close to the surface. Yes. Yeah. Um, which she does this work with trans people so she's yeah. saying you know here you see where the hysterical question about the body and mm-hmm. gender like you know they have this suicide rate that's like 57 yeah. percent higher than anybody else yeah. because of that life and death yeah nature of the hysterical thing well
1: this is because you know in in the wider world often you hear well that's because i think i'm not to say that you know there isn't a huge amount of transphobia and you know this these kinds of problems but in know in the way that kind of a more kind of like rationality approach is, oh, the suicide always because of bullying or something. But actually, these are life and death questions and questions revolving around, you know, we're talking potentially like um, neurotic
2: questions
1: Mm -hmm. and never being able to find Mm -hmm. a delineation.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. And yeah. Yeah, no, but I mean, the bullying comes because it's just too hard to ask and confront this person who's putting this in your face. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, and then the, the really good psychoanalysts who write about um, violence towards mm-hmm. trans people, mm-hmm. you know, understand that 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 yeah. the, that the trans person is really overstimulating, really exciting, yeah. really confusing, really terrifying. Because we
1: were talking about you know, like sex being really actually horrifying. And we actually just made like a short film about this. That actually, the reality of sex itself is like this. Horrific, almost sci-fi horror thing that actually, if you see, and almost like rape is sex without fantasy, almost. Mm-hmm. And so, post sixty-eight, you know, and not to throw out sixty-eight as such, but like one of the downsides has been sex in the public realm, and it is very traumatizing,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know. And it's true that that, that, that you know, because it's questions of also. I mean, this is another thing that I've noticed about um, identities and sex that often like. An individual fetish is turned into like a like a a sexual identity. Mm-hmm. So like I don't know, like pansexual or something. We're mm-hmm. like attracted to it and inanimate objects, but it's like something that we would have kept quiet or just repressed as like a fantasy is now like an actual. Public identity that a lot of people wear on their I mean, sleeves It's
2: a WhatsApp group that then Marcus has to hear about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah. One,
3: one of the one of the many, I think, uh, virtues of the Oedipus, mm-hmm. uh, you know, fantasy or myth or mm-hmm. structure, complex uh, and and. Uh, uh, is that that it um, puts on the table the question of uh, the relation to the parents? Mm-hmm. I mean, it sounds very simple, mm-hmm. but this is actually gets obliterated in the horizontal presence of sex. Yeah, yeah. As if it were not fundamentally a life and death relation to the generation preceding. Yeah,
1: yeah, the yeah, yeah. So yeah,
3: um, it's not only sleeping with the mother; it's also killing the father. Yeah. And it's also, uh, you know, there's also a matricidal fantasy, probably yeah. very uh, prevalent. Mm-hmm. So there's something, the violence of sex is not only in the act of the copulation, mm-hmm. there's also the violence of being born.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah.
3: in itself a killing of uh, uh, the, the preceding generation reproduced yeah. in the sex so what reproduces reproduce in your own sex is the killing that you committed by being born uh, in the fantasy yeah, maybe, just, yeah. yeah.
1: it's the same in, and, it's just like alien with it bursting out of you again yeah yeah, yeah. yeah and somehow the,
3: the you know is another dialectic that the you know the presence of sex is actually also uh, obliteration of the violence at heart of you know the, the parent child
0: mm-hmm, relationship mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: It does does not get talked about yeah, at all, you know, yeah. So, and then it occurs as phenomena like you know infanticide and you know yeah. crazy family stories, yeah, where, yeah, you know, yeah. rape in the family, yeah. as if those were isolated phenomena. Yeah, I don't think they are. Yeah. You know, in disease of phantasmatic structures, yeah, and real structures.
2: I mean, what is you know BDSM then like a kind of crazy version of maternal? care yeah, no, it, yeah exactly wrapping the person up so yeah it. <laughs> but it's funny because it becomes an identity or it becomes a yeah. version or it becomes all these other yeah. things and i think, I think this is right the kind of parental issues that can stake are kind of suppressed which is why yeah. psychoanalysis is good for bringing us back to these very basic things
0: Have you guys seen this practice that people do where they get they want to get wrapped up in a blanket and they they tie a knot in it and they just feel kind of like in the womb? Is would you say then the that that's like maybe like a BDSM thing but without the leather and without the <laughs> <laughs> you know it reminds me of
1: Temple Grandin Do, you, uh, do yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. the autistic the, ho- the hug machine the hugging machine yeah, yeah. yeah. Machine. yeah. There's, a, there's also you can buy like weighted blankets now that like have a hundred I have it. one I bought I want to buy one yeah. it's
2: good anxiety it's great.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just feels like it's
2: full of sand. You is like it? you're like in a tomb, yeah. Well we were talking about the womb. Like, and Antigone. Yeah. <laughs> Antigone in bed in my sand blankets disgusting
0: <laughs> So we've gone pretty far from home, but any last remarks on the film that you guys might might have?
2: Do you wanna s I, I talked about it. What do you think of the Casavettes?
0: I mean I it's a long time that I have seen it. Yeah.
2: Uh,
3: I think there must be something. Uh, what if I watched it again okay. now after the conversation? Yeah. There's something about the relation between the hysteria that is being represented through this woman and the improvisation. Mm-hmm.
0: Of the
1: movie, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, absolutely. Because I would now yeah.
3: look for mm-hmm. that. You know what? How hysteric is this as a way mm-hmm. of making movies yeah. In yeah. Rela- which was in yeah. relation to the industry yeah. and how productive
2: that is and Cassavetes I mean I don't know if you know Mm -hmm. but I mean this was like he created this family he Mm -hmm. created almost this commune and he was acting in order to fund this, these amazing films mm-hmm. and I mean he's still I think for filmmakers, filmmaker someone who did like the unimaginable yeah, so in true. terms of the capacity to produce these films and and you kind of imagine that that, that was the only moment in which it could be done mm-hmm. it's like you know like whatever cusp yeah. the film industry was on only he could have done it at that moment mm-hmm. and this is impossible now to create With that it, kind of collective to hide the money away yeah. to do it also without it being co-opted mm-hmm. because no one like you know he, he just did these and no one really watched them and he kept going. Mm-hmm. And nowadays it would turn into some stupid thing on the internet, Yeah, exactly. Right? exactly. Except for this
3: Mexican film. Which one? This 10-hour Mexican film. Oh, yeah. Is, Marcus uh, has a I'm, you know, and I don't I don't recall the names, it, but it's out there and yeah. you'll find it's not spoken about. Yeah. Which probably also in the long run will get highly commercialized, yeah. but there's something about the… Do you the, know
2: what he's talking about?
3: I know. Right? No, 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 it's not Mexican. It's Argentinian. Argentinian, yeah. It's an Argentinian uh, group of… Uh, um a filmmaker and actors uh-huh. and they've been doing this for 10 years and it's a movie really about nothing but yeah. it's acting you know yeah. about mm-hmm. them acting yeah. and uh it's quite, um, it's quite unique. So there are yeah. pockets where this there's, there's
2: like, one type of film. This is where so acting and life, the mm-hmm. soldering yeah. of that together, which really is hysterical. Mm-hmm. And what do they oh, say yeah. about hysterics? Oh, she's just acting, but she's not, not acting. acting. Yeah, but it doesn't mean that life doesn't have a performative mm-hmm. quality in which your performance draws somebody in in a very real way. Mm-hmm. So this is where the question of theater and hysteria kind of meld, I think, in in the film world, and that's you know maybe what Casavetti's. Uh, tapped into in mm-hmm. that way Woman Under the Influence is maybe the one that kind of stands out mm-hmm. I mean although she, Gina was in so many mm-hmm. of
0: his films she's great she's, she's so good so
2: unbelievable
1: I was going to say there's one type of film that is commercially made that are often improvised or semi-improvised which is horror movies I don't know if horror has something hysterical about it it's a lot to do with life, death, birth
2: Oh, absolutely. I Maybe have, like, ten. my hysterical yeah. patients are some of the ones who, who like, sit and watch horror movies mm-hmm. because it's disguised sexual excitement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, <laughs> oh, my God, it's so scary. <laughs> and, like, this is, like, all of their sexual excitement. Yeah. And I, I really realized this because I saw teenagers in line for, um, you know, like, whatever roller coaster. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you are know, like... How scary do you think it's gonna be? Oh, it's, it's so scary. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I was on like, It was so scary. Oh my god, how scary is it? You know, and like I was this like, I was like, this is this is just sex stuff. Like you yeah. guys are like you guys are like talking about the sex yeah, that yeah. you're about to have but the sex that you just had and like how good was it or how bad was yeah. it
1: or But there's something very like maternal yeah. I think about all the elements of horror and I, I used to have nightmares but I said like bears in a cupboard and sharks. Mm-hmm all these things they seem they like there's a the mother that's going to gobble you up into oblivion yeah. you know yeah. um, maybe I just have like no I love my
2: that you Maybe for bearing mother <laughs>
0: If you have to say it.
2: Well. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Who
1: knows? I don't know anything.
2: But the, and the horror movie sets up a situation where the limits always have to be crossed. So, mm-hmm. you know, you, you yes. sit, once you get the rules, like, okay, so the, if you're blah, 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 then the ghost isn't going to go in there. Mm-hmm. And then the next movie is like, nope. Yeah. And so, like, it keeps setting mm-hmm. up a boundary that the then Windy. the next movie yes. has to break.
1: Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Very interesting. We should do more horror movies, but I'm always too scared to watch horror movies. I just can't bear. That. Did you watch Hereditary? I did. Hereditary. Yeah. Oh, but it took me like five days to recover from that. Oh uh,
3: yeah.
2: yeah.
1: So You
3: didn't did. watch?
2: Oh god, I watched. It. Yeah. No. I mean, it, it really ups the ante. I mean, yeah. that moment when that when the mother chops her own head oh, off. I mean, god. it's just <laughs> like I, you can't even believe that the movie <laughs> yeah. went there. You were just like,
0: what? It, talking about what did you think about Sisyphean? Did you watch it? The new one?
2: It's, this is the Tilda Swinton mm, dancing man. movie. Yeah, I thought that was great. Mm-hmm. Um, it was so good. But I yeah. had to work out of that. It was just too the, the the final scene. Yeah. I mean, that like went, I mean, I was less interested in that scene mm-hmm. because it was like, it just like, it, it just went over the top with the gore mm-hmm. and the whatever. Yeah. I, the, the scene in which she dances mm-hmm. and the dancing breaks her body into yeah, like yeah, a yeah. million pieces. Yeah. I mean, this is like the most incredible hysterical horror yeah. scene um, you know, and they're using a kind of peanut I'm explaining this to Marcus. Mm-hmm. So you guys can't see me. Um, the, the it's like playing off of a peanut bausch, just this incredibly histrionic mm-hmm. form of dance. But then it becomes the thing that like, what are you like? What are you doing to your body? And that's a very hysterical mm-hmm. question. Mm-hmm. Like, am I doing something beautiful and creative, or am I doing something completely destructive and not knowing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We just made a video where it's kind of a Pina-esque dance, dance,
1: and one of the male dancers starts to like extract himself from the dance and fall through the floor into like another
0: world. That uh, and the yeah, rest of the dancers start ascending, start so.
1: ascending somewhere else. All it's right. fun what you can do in music video <laughs> nonsense. All right,
0: so we hit the the hour mark. thanks so much for thank you, much. Yeah. So thank nice you. It's right. really interesting. Bye.